Welcome to another edition of BartCast, a podcast series curated by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. We are broadcasting from the Ventura River watershed in Southern California on traditional and unceded Chumash territory. Learn more at bcm-net.org. This is Chad Myers. Occasionally we feature guest voices on our BartCast. We're pleased to introduce you to Mark Pestak from Cleveland. Mark is a longtime participant in Bible study at the Catholic Worker there, which along with the Los Angeles House is exemplary in the Catholic Worker movement for its devotion to scripture study. This is a community I have visited many times, and I've enjoyed a long friendship with co-founder Mike Fiala, who has been very supportive of our Bartimaeus Institute's since their beginning, often sponsoring his community members to attend. Mark Pestak is a space engineer and delivered this fine homily on Jeremiah 19 and 21 on Father's Day 2020. His community of St. Peter is a Roman Catholic church excommunicated for its refusal to disband during massive closings of Roman Catholic churches in Cleveland by the bishop over 10 years ago. I had the pleasure of staying with Mark and his family during a visit to Cleveland in October 2000 to work with the Interreligious Task Force on Central America. We hope you'll visit the Cleveland Catholic Worker if you are ever in town. Thanks to Mark for his permission to share this reflection, which we hope you'll enjoy. I'm Mark Pestak. Many of you know me, but you might not recognize me because my hair hasn't been this long since uh, college. Last Sunday, Bob finished his homily by saying, I need community. What do you need? Bob's words reminded me of a story I heard from a friend of mine named Jim Mysack. Jim, as a younger man some 40 years or so ago, was at a gathering in South Bend, Indiana. The speaker was Father Daniel Berrigan. Father Berrigan was a priest, prophet, anti-war activist, Christian pacifist, playwright, poet, and one of the Cantonville Nine. One of the young people at the gathering asked Father Berrigan, what do we need to stay committed to the work of the gospel for the long haul? Without a moment's hesitation, Berrigan said, community, spiritual discipline, and biblical literacy. At CSP, I think we've got the good handle on the community part. Spiritual discipline, I think, is primarily a personal practice and maybe topic for another day. I want to talk about biblical literacy. The Bible has great stories. Harry Potter has great stories. So what's the difference? Unlike Harry Potter, the Bible is more than dramatic entertainment. The Bible tells the great stories, all caps, that make us ponder the great questions, all caps. The great stories like Exodus, Genesis, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the Gospels, are socially, politically, economically, and spiritually relevant then and now. The great stories are guides for two things at least two things. How can we remain faithful to the covenant 
and live as followers of Jesus? And how can we make sense of what's happening around us? As a bit of an aside, I want to mention the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is a term that refers to people that claim no church affiliation. You might recall a few weeks ago, we virtually on Zoom welcomed uh, Dr. Patricia Bruce to CSP uh, for our adult education program. Her research documents how a number uh, of nuns, how the number of nuns has grown uh, for the past decades. My unresearched, unsubstantiated hunch is that the trend of increasing number of nuns has something to do with Bible literacy, biblical literacy, or the lack thereof. Christian children learn tightly packed, uh, simplistic Bible stories, which certainly are appropriate for children. However, as children become young adults, life becomes complex and nuanced. The simplistic version of the Bible stories can become irrelevant in the face of life's questions. Furthermore, with all the things competing for young people's attention, it's hard to find time for a deep dive into the great stories. So biblical literacy. Let's take today's first uh, reading, for example. We read three verses from Jeremiah, which is the conclusion of what the New American Bible labels as Jeremiah's interior crisis. The poetry is beautiful and even inspiring. As a reflection, I could say, take heart. Like Jeremiah, the the Lord is with you and us and everything will be okay. Which is a legitimate reflection on today's scripture reading. However, without some Bible literacy, biblical literacy, we miss the context and today's relevance. But let me be clear, when I say biblical literacy, I'm not talking about having a PhD in exegesis or learning to read Greek. I'm simply saying, just read the whole story. Take it at face value and keep the following two questions in mind. One, Why would ancient people tell this story, refine it for generations, and eventually write it down in its current form? Two, what does the story mean and how might it be relevant today? Today, Kevin beautifully read those three verses from chapter 20. What we didn't read were the prior 19 chapters in which Jeremiah rails about Israel's infidelity to their covenant with God. For a long time, 19 chapters to be exact, Jeremiah preaches, pleads, begs, cajoles, warns, threatens, grieves, laments, and he is largely ignored. He seems invisible. Then at the beginning of chapter 20, Somebody takes notice. Chapter 20, verse 1. Jeremiah was heard prophesying these things by the priest Pasher, son of Immer, chief officer in the house of the Lord. 
Before the Babylonian exile, the house of the Lord was the center of religious, political, and economic power in Israel. In America today, Pasher might be thought of as the chief of police in New York or the head of the Capitol Police in Washington, D.C., or the head of the Justice Department, or maybe all three. At this point, you might be thinking, Mark, you're really stretching it. My response would be, if you won't permit consideration of the analogy, then what is the relevance of the story? And why would anyone, especially young people, care about this story? And why would this story survive? out of all the stories that ancient people told their children. And if Jeremiah has no relevance today, is there anything in the Bible that speaks to our current crisis? And why would Jesus make so many references to Jeremiah? The book of Jeremiah is not not simply a history lesson. Jeremiah keeps repeating itself in various places with various people, which is precisely why it is one of the great stories. So I press on. So what does Pasher do do upon hearing Jeremiah's prophecy? Take a guess. What happens when people in power are confronted with their complicity and injustice? Sometimes people take the prophet to heart and are converted. Sometimes they respond with a combination of violence and smear campaign. Before his assassination while celebrating Mass on March 24, 1980, Archbishop Oscar Romero pleaded with the soldiers in El Salvador to stop the killing. And some put down their weapons, but many did not. While jailed in Birmingham on Good Friday, 1963, for violating a court injunction against marches, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, in his letter from a Birmingham jail, pleaded with other pastors, especially white pastors, and some joined the civil rights movement, but many did not. Protesters in the last few weeks have sought change, and in Lincoln, Nebraska, some police officers took off their helmets and danced the Cupid shuffle but many did not. So what does Pashur do upon hearing Jeremiah's prophecy? Well, the answer is in chapter, in verse two. He had the prophet scourged and placed in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin in the house of the Lord. Jeremiah was tortured and locked up inside the temple. Jeremiah, like Jesus after him, was a victim of state-sponsored violence. The violence was followed by a smear campaign. Pasher tweeted that Jeremiah was a member of Antifa. Okay, that's not true. I'm kidding. I made that part up. But please reread the first uh, verse of today's reading, chapter 20, verse 10, and decide for yourself if there was a smear campaign. But it is true that St. Romero was accused of being a communist. It is true that Dr. King was accused of many false things. And it is true that President Trump accused Martin Gugino of being a member of Antifa. As you may know, Martin is the 75-year-old man that suffered a brain injury 
during a peaceful protest in Buffalo. Martin is a member of the Buffalo Catholic Worker and has worked for years with a group called Witness Against Torture. Witness Against Torture is a group dedicated to closing the U.S. prison camp in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and opposes state-sponsored torture of the kind that has happened at Guantanamo. In the Catholic worker tradition, Martin is deeply committed to causes such as fair housing and immigration rights. Guiding his activism is belief in the sacred power of nonviolent resistance to injustice. After Jeremiah is released, he's not backing down. He is not broken by his first trip to jail. He delivers his harshest words yet. Bear with me. Chapter 20, verses 3 to 6. The next morning after Pasher had released Jeremiah from the stocks, the prophet said to him, Instead of Pasher, the Lord will name you terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, Indeed, I will deliver you to, your, uh, to terror, you and all your friends. Your own eyes shall see them fall by the sword of their enemies. All Judah I will deliver to the king of Babylon, who shall take them captive to hold uh, to Babylon or slay with a sword. All the wealth of the city, all it has toiled for and holds dear, all the treasures of the kings of Judah I will give as plunder into the hands of their foes who shall seize it and carry it away to Babylon. You, Pasher, and all the members of your household shall go into exile. To Babylon you shall go, you and all your friends. There you shall die and be buried because you have prophesied lies to them. Considering he was tortured and kept in stocks overnight, I think Jeremiah's rant is quite coherent. But why, all these, why will all these awful things uh, happen to Pasher? It says, because your prophecies lied to them. So what were these lies that Pasher is accused of? The text suggests that the lie was that, quote, the wealth of the city and, quote, the treasures of the kings of Judah are the things that the people should, quote, toil for and hold dear. Seems to me, Jeremiah is accusing the chief priest of the house of the Lord of telling the people that the economy is the thing that they should toil for and hold dear, not the covenant. No scholarship here. I'm just reading the words. Does Jeremiah sound relevant to our current crisis? What follows the torture and the smear campaign is so beautifully human. It is Jeremiah's interior crisis. He says in chapter 20, verses 7 through 9, You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me, and you triumphed. All the day I am an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all day. So I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will speak his name no more. But then it becomes like a fire burning in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure. 
Jeremiah doubts himself, doubts his auth- the authenticity of his calling, but then he realizes he can't keep it in. This reminds me of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you supported the protest in Cleveland on May 30th, how do you feel about it now? Have the events since then shaken your conviction? Do you feel duped? Are you afraid or reluctant to get involved again? Any interior crises going on? If so, my advice is from today's gospel. Don't fear those who can deprive the body of life but can't destroy the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. Now I encourage you to reread today's first reading with this bit of context. Does Jeremiah read the same? In closing, I'm not saying that Jeremiah is a perfect analogy to our current situation. What I am saying is that if we don't look to the prophets for insight, then we should stop treating them as part of our sacred scripture and relegate Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Amos, Habakkuk, and all the other prophets, just relegate them to the history history department at the university. I'm convinced of the truth in Father Dan Berrigan's words that for the long haul, we need community, spiritual discipline, and biblical literacy. Furthermore, I'm confident that young people will find their way with or without institutional church, because the Holy Spirit is alive and moving. My hope is that the nuns and the non-nuns alike will take deep dives into the great stories, and by doing so, they will find their way a little sooner. been listening to the Bartcast, produced by Bartimaeus Cooperative Ministries. For more programs and other resources, go to chedmyers.org. Join our community-supported ministry at bcm-net.org backslash donate. Thanks for listening.